Hello and welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. If you're a fan of esports content, this is 100% the business podcast you should be listening to. We've got Walter Wang in today from HTC, the director of HTC Esports or head of HTC Esports. He talks a lot about HTC going through their rebrand, some new partnerships with FaZe uh, and some other teams, new content directions. But ultimately, we really drilled down into content and esports team content. If you've seen HTC online whatsoever in esports, you'll realize that they're so much focused on video. They're focused on selling a narrative and partnerships with teams and influencers to do so. And I personally believe that that is a lot of the future as to where esports is heading around content narrative and how you effectively work with brands and your talent within. So that's enough from me. Let's get straight into the podcast after this message from our sponsor. We've chosen PLE Computers as a supporter of Big Esports because they believe in supporting the growth of the market just like we do. What we're really excited to work with them with is a whole bunch of initiatives, anything from our coursework, teaching people about how to open up their own esports startups or get a job in the industry or transfer from others, to creating live meets for people to meet together, to network and develop new partnerships and opportunities, to this online podcast as well. So PLE Computers is one of the largest online PC retailers in Australia, focusing on gaming and performance hardware. So you can check them out if you're interested in buying any new products or purchasing a brand new gaming PC. Walter, thank you so much for taking some time to join me here on this very, very cold and very early Melbourne morning, mate. Oh, happy to be here. Excited. First podcast I've, been, I've, I've ever done. <laughs> First podcast. Well, you've definitely got a, a lot of experience in the market. You know, you've, you've held a variety of roles and been around for a long time. So hopefully it's not your last podcast by any means. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Don't scare me away. So- <laughs> so I wanted to kick it off exactly the same as, as we do with basically every other podcast. Can you let us know a little bit about your history in, in esports gaming and tech and how it's relevant to where you're at today? Yeah, yeah. So I started, well, I mean, I've been a gamer my whole life, you know, started with console gaming, you know, played the N64, then moved on to Xbox, Halo and Halo and Call of Duty were my games. Um, and then slowly mm-hmm. picked up sort of the, the MOBAs in uh, League of Legends um, later on. And then League of Legends became my primary game. Uh, played a lot of Counter-Strike Go. Nowadays, you seems like I play every game um, from Apex mm-hmm. to, to Dota 2 Auto Chess. Um, but how I started in the esports industry was actually... I was working at HTC back in 2013, 2014, as an intern, actually, summer intern. And I learned about our partnership with uh, Valve in creating the HTC Vive, which is our virtual reality product. Um, mm-hmm. I learned this through my former boss, uh, Charles Huang, which he, uh, he founded uh, Red Octane, which you know created Guitar Hero and everything, and he was one of the people who bridged that relationship between Valve and HTC, and I learned it from him. And basically, I once I learned about it, I started talking to sort of my management, the management at HTC and executives at HTC, and saying, "Hey, look, this VR product's going to be a gaming-first product, and HTC really doesn't have a brand in, in the gaming demographic." Um, mm. And I, 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 and I, I really push them to say, hey, look, you guys should really think about building some brand equity amongst the gaming demographic before ahead of launching your, 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 your VR product. The way I viewed it was it's sort of a console. You know, everyone knows about the failure of uh, Oya. Uh, I'm sure you remember that. Um, and so I told them, hey, look, we need to do some marketing uh, in the gaming, gaming space. Since we don't make games, we've never been in the gaming space. And so then I told them, hey, look, maybe you should look at live streamers. This is the time when, you know, Void Boy just retired. I'm a cutie pie starter streaming. Um, and also I told them about YouTube Let's Players and also esports teams. Mm. And then they told me, well, that sounds all good, but we really don't have anyone who understands this market and we don't really have anybody who will do it. So why don't you do it? <laughs> and so they sort of sent me to go try to figure it out in a couple of months. And they gave me a very small budget. I think it was $25,000 at the time. And told me, hey, look, go go see what you can do with this money. 
um, and see what you can do in the gaming space with this money. And that that's how it really started. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. And I guess there's a few there's a few lessons for people who are listening because obviously a, a lot of the listeners of this podcast um, are wide ranging from people that are looking to transition from traditional industry into esports. And there's a whole contingent of people that are looking for their first path of entry into the space. And I wanted to kind of unpack a little bit about how we started and and how we got to where you are today. And I think a very um, like like a very interesting point you brought up is that you literally just presented your bosses, hey, here's a market that I'm interested in. I understand I'm, you know, only an intern and and a, and a quite young and, and new into the industry, but here's something I'm passionate about. Here's the gap. And um, yeah, quite often they said, as they did to you, they handed you the gap entirely and said, go and run with it and see what you can do with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I will say that there is some luck involved in the sense that um, they were willing to listen. Um but at the same time, it, it really was sort of, I, I really didn't know anything too much about the esports industry. I followed, obviously, the teams and the scene, but I had no business mm. contacts in the space. So when they told me to sort of go figure it out, basically, I was basically cold emailing and cold calling anybody I could find, really. Um, I remember drafting up emails uh, to Andy over at TSM, Jack over at Cloud9 and Steve at, at Team Liquid and say, hey, look, you know, HTC sort of looking into the esports space. Uh, would you be willing to talk to me? And mm. I was sort of, you know, crossing my fingers and praying like, hey, hopefully these guys respond um, and take me seriously. Um, and they did. And, and what happened was um, they were looking, this is the start, I believe, of season four LCS. So a lot of these teams were looking for, I guess, the first non-endemic sponsor, one of the first non-endemic sponsors. So, so, they, mm. so they, they all came together, actually. So originally, I got, I got deals individually from all of them. But as everyone sort of in the industry knows, those three are, are, are pretty, three pretty tight owners. And, and they came together and actually presented a package deal for all three, of, all three teams uh, to us at a, at a very good rate. And so that's how we ended up sponsoring those three teams out of the gate. And is, is that something you can expand a little bit more on? Because that's, that's something I definitely wasn't aware of. And yeah, it sounds like something fantastic that other, other teams in the esports industry should look into, just in regards to the package deal. Yeah, I think it was a different time back then um, because we're, we were operating off a limited budget. And mm. I was telling each of these esports owners, Jack, Steve, and Andy individually that, hey, look, like... This is sort of make it or break it. We got really one shot at this to really prove the return on investment mm-hmm. in esports and in gaming. Um, because the other things that I was looking at was, you know, live streaming deals with influencers on Twitch, with like Lyric, I'm a cutie pie, boy, boy, these type of things. And then um, also at YouTube, YouTube gamers, uh, you know. And so I, I was telling these guys, hey, look, you guys, esports teams, you guys actually provide the best streaming numbers because you have like a whole network of streamers as, who are also double as professional players. And they basically were, were, were like, okay, we, we really need to make sure that we give a really good package to HTC so that they can extend this partnership, right? Because mm. back in that, in that time, you know, sponsorships weren't very big. There was no big brand in the space, at least that was non-endemic. And then eventually, I guess, word got around that we were just sort of looking at all the esports teams in the space. You know, I, I also talked to Optic in the day, talked to Dignitas, all of them. And then eventually, I think what happened was somehow uh, Jack, Andy, and Steve, I guess, we all got in a room together and said, hey, look, what if we just did these three teams at a sweetheart deal to get your foot in the door for a very short-term deal and then prove to your management that esports can work and it's the brand value is there and then we can extend at a more market level price mm. yeah no, that sounds that sounds very interesting and it's something that i'd like to I'd like to see some other markets adopt because you know obviously you know i'm sitting here in australia we're probably about three to five years is the common sentiment behind where the US is. And there's other developing esports nations like India and Africa that are having a really good shot at a growth period at the moment. And yeah, I, I like that proposition of 
you know, solidifying that message and going together. But it's not something that you too often see in the public eye of esports, which is, you know, esports businesses banding together and actually, you know, um, creating something for the common good of esports. It, but it is something that happens behind the scenes um, a bit. But yeah, it's, it's great to see something like that come into fruition. And, and obviously it, it rather paid off for, for you. So what was the um, what was the narrative from HTC in regards to working with these esports people? Did you get to set that whole narrative as in the marketing campaign and, and the messaging and branding? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, well, I sort of operated it sort of like a startup within HTC, mm. and it was sort of try to do the best you think you can do for, for the brand and position the brand the way you think that the gaming, the sort of the esports community would be most receptive. And then if management sort of sees it and doesn't like it, you ask for forgiveness a little later. Um, yeah. Um, in the sense that, you know, I try to position the brand to be very authentic. I mean, you see that you hear that word thrown around in the esports space too much, but mm. something very real, something that's position the brand where it seems as if the brand really knows um, the community and, and the scene. So when we entered the space, you know, what we were really trying to do was create a lot of content. Um, and, you know, the first few pieces of content we created were, for example, um, Team Liquid Rebirth. That was one of the first pieces that we created. It was the, I would say, probably the highest, the best production value, um, I guess, reality series around an esports team mm -hmm. um, back during that time. And it was very raw. Like You got to see the emotions. You got to see backstage. Sort of like... Um, I mean, everyone references TSM Grame Crips, but Team Liquid Re Rebirth was also one of those pioneering documentaries. And the numbers we got on those videos sort of blew the HTC marketing away because we didn't spend a dime on YouTube or any other marketing channels to promote the video. Mm. We got 200,000 to 300,000 organic views every episode, um, which was... Very different from what the view, the numbers that that the agency marketing was seeing at that time. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's obviously you know if you want two to if you want your brand attached to a two to three hundred k YouTube video from you know even a sole influencer, it's not a cheap task. So it's great to have that sweet in the deal chucked on top. And yeah, and, and that really gets me into I guess the next question is what you know how do, how do you measure success with these kind of campaigns in the beginning and compared to now? Has has the goalpost changed a lot? Right, I think that that's that's a difficult question, but uh, let me try to unpack it mm. in the sense that measuring ROI on a sponsorship is very very difficult. If you look at any traditional sports sponsor sports uh, sponsorship, like you sponsor the Lakers, you sponsor the Yankees, it's very hard for a brand to evaluate the the return on investment on that sponsorship. Mm. What you can do is do the best you can. Um, I mean, Phil Knight, founder of Nike, once said, very famously said, um, I spent, you know, he, he spent a lot of money on marketing. He just doesn't know what works, right? What half works. Mm. Um, I, I think so. That's why when we originally uh, set out in, in the esports in, uh, scene, we were really focused on a couple of things. We are focused on engagement, so engagement on social, engagement on our YouTube videos. Uh, number two was obviously impressions and views um, on all our videos. And then number three would be just be growing the fan bases of our dedicated channels, which was uh, HTC Esports uh, across Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. So that's how we first evaluated our, 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 our sponsorship. Um, and then that goalpost has changed, uh, since then. Um, and it's, it's started to become, how would I put it? Those, those KPIs are still very valuable, but in the end it was, we really had to shift in the past, I would say a year or two into how do we build the top of the funnel for, for sales was how do we build uh, sales leads. How do we build? Uh, how do we build measurable clicks 
uh, towards a purchase of one of our products. So it has changed a, a, a little bit over the time. Yeah, and is that is that a common narrative that you're seeing with um with other brands within the market now? It's becoming less about just you know esports is exciting and new, and becoming more about okay, how do we drive direct sales and a, and a sales funnel off these campaigns? I think it really depends on the brand. Um, if you look at someone like a HTC, we don't have the marketing spend that some of the bigger players now are in the space. So we have to be a little bit more efficient and a little bit more measured in the way we do our sponsorships. So mm. we can't just do, say, hey, look, we're only going to go for impressions. We're only going to look for um, just how many eyeballs will see this, especially if you look at offline activations. Bigger brands, though, they have a lot big, a lot of uh, bigger marketing budget um, that they can direct toward esports these days, and so they can do everything. They can do, hey, let's let's do these, create these great uh, content pieces and offline activations, so we can calculate foot traffic, impressions, um, engagement, while also having their more sales-oriented marketing um, channels that they push. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do see some of the, well, someone, someone like HTC, we have to be a little bit more focused on how we can acquire a user or how can we acquire a customer, um, and make them think of when they think of, you know, VR, virtual reality, high end VR, they think of HTC Vive. So when they do eventually decide to purchase, a virtual reality headset, they think of HTC first. So I, I just want to stay on the team narrative for a little bit before we talk about some other sponsorship sections. Is there something? Is there something specific that draws you into teams? And also, are there are there certain games that have performed much better for yourself, or is it just the um, combining with the team narrative as a whole has been quite positive for HTC? Right, right. So going back at, back to it we sort of when we first entered esports and we kept on reevaluating our positions was does is teams the right entry point for us as a sponsor as an, for us as a brand and we kept on we kept on going back to that question and that question the answer was basically yes because they're the closest thing to the fan right when you think of when you think of the NALCS you don't think of you know, the brands that sponsor it. Um, when you, The reason why we, going, stepping a little bit back, is when we, we didn't decide to go with, say, like a, like a franchise or a league or tournaments, because there are so many of them. Um, and you just, most of the time, in my opinion, you're usually a logo on the stream, a logo that's being shouted out, and that really doesn't build any um, top of mind for your brand. So when you see, you know, ESL Katowice or you see, you know, Overwatch League um, week two, stage four or whatever it is, and you see that logo, it's such an ephemeral moment. People don't remember it. People mm-hmm. are not going to remember, hey, look, remember that tournament that HTC sponsored or remember that uh, league that HTC sponsored? We decided to go with the approach of, hey, let's create Let's build storylines with these teams and create content with these teams so that they think of HTC when they think about those pieces of content um, that the fans enjoyed. For example, we created um, a lot of different content shorts around Cloud9, TSM, and Team Liquid. For example, uh, High's Retirement or Retirement Home, these sort of short content clips. So when people think of, hey, remember that commercial? Oh, yeah, HTC sponsored... uh, Cloud9 and TSM and those players. So, that, so we believe that makes our brand a little bit more top of mind for the esports fan. Yeah, and I kind of want to just warn the listeners, and I'm going to stumble through this a bit because I don't have a I don't have a hundred percent set position on teams versus tournaments. But it's a, it's something that I've been investigating for a long time. And while I think that that both are worth sponsoring because you know the only thing I'm biased towards really is esports. But there's been quite a few similar narratives like what you've just said that's been pushed across to me all the way from my first job, you know, working similar to you with very low marketing budgets at Thermal Take through through Corsair and and then some of my work as a kind of analyst and um and whatever else I do in the space amongst everything. And yeah, what I hear a lot of the time is that a tournaments are a nice to have where teams are more of a must have. Some of the other um 
examples I hear are from traditional sports, especially in Australia, where brands will prefer to align themselves with a tournament rather than a team because they're worried that members of the public who don't like said team will then associate your brand negatively. But I've seen that kind of pushed back against quite a lot in the esports market. And yeah, I've definitely seen some of the branding and messaging, like you were saying as well, where a lot of the time a tournament might be logo share on a stage or a rotating logo on a stream, but it doesn't provide that same connection, one-on-one connection where, um, you know, you can see your favorite Counter-Strike or League of Legends player using this sponsor's product and it might build a much more emotional response to you rather than just seeing the, the HyperX headsets hung on stage or Alienware computers, you know, sitting up there on the podium and such um, and, and logos that are rotating on the stream. Do, do any of those kind of facts or observations resonate with you um, on top of what you've just discussed? Yeah, you, you described the situation very well. And I think, again, I mean, this is the answer is it's on a case-by-case basis. It depends on what kind of brand you are. For HTC, we have to be a little bit more focused in how we spend our money we get the most bang for our buck. Hmm. Um, and so we have decided that, hey, look, teams are a good investment because we get to integrate with those fans, with those uh, with those team fans, and, and really be a part of their story and build content around that. And in a sense, teams are a lot more flexible in what you can do with them. If you go to a tournament organizer or you go to um, a franchise league, there's, it's going to be a little bit more restrictive on what they can offer because they, they have a huge production. Um, they can't they can't you know customize too many things of how you want to do things because they have the tournament itself, they have the teams to uh, be aware of, and their own sponsors and and more sponsors that they have to bring in. So it's a little bit harder for these tournament organizers and and leagues to 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 fit our needs. Uh, as a smaller sponsor where we sort of want custom content we want to do things in a certain way because our 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 sponsorship our team is in-house we don't work through any agencies we sort of are on the boots on the ground we're writing the scripts of this content we're hiring the the production teams etc etc um meanwhile when you're a bigger sponsor you want to go after the tournaments because then your brand because you have the money to put your brand on all the tournaments and your that brand that logo will be put so many in so many places that any Twitch view or YouTube view or any watcher of the stream of of esports streams will see that brand logo. But as HTC, we can't do that. Yeah, so I think you know I think part of what you're saying too, just to um, once again expand on it, is that tournaments may be more suited for those not only with larger budgets but more more of the larger mainstream companies that can afford that. Um, extra payment that's going into the gray, which is the extra agency fees, activation fees and such. Whereas if you're, you know, an endemic or a semi-endemic company as HTC sits right now, like you're identifying, it's much more hands-on, which that means that you can't afford those extra leniency with budgets and you're not as concerned about logo share on a main stage or naming rights, but more so about, you know, hands-on emotional connection with products. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do agree in, in part with that statement and I, and that that thinking. Um, it's not to say, you know, that these big-name companies, these big-name sponsors don't spend wisely. They do. Um, mm. It's just that they're able to do things on a larger scale and, and in a sense that allows them to have a different approach to yeah. how they do their sponsorships. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I agree with that. And I guess before we progress on as well, a question that I should have asked before is, uh, are all of these questions coming from the same place for both HTC mobile phones as well as with Vive? Or is there a, a separate narrative or marketing that you push with each of those two? Right. So a little bit of history in the sense that in the past, we are really 50-50 between smartphone and VR. Um, but ever since about a year, half ago, two years ago, we've really been really just focusing on virtual reality. So we're pretty much um, HTC Vive all the way um, and not as much focus on the smartphones. Yeah, okay. So you've you've identified a few times uh, when you're talking about the teams that um, you're trying to create a connection to the players and with the contents and such. And you also talked about initially you were looking into influencers. Are influencers still a major part of your campaigns or do you rely on, you know, some of these new partnerships with big teams like TSM and FaZe to be the influencers themselves? Right, right. So in the past, 
um, we were really just esports focused. Um, but recently we rebranded to HTC Gaming because we believe that um, we shouldn't be sort of, you know, segmenting ourselves to only talking to the esports community, but to the game. We want to talk to the entire gaming audience as a whole. Mm-hmm. And part of that strategy, I think about a year and a half ago, we did start bringing in a lot more influencer-related campaigns. Um, most notably is last year when around Beat Saber launched. It's one of the more popular mm-hmm. uh, VR games um, in the market right now. When it, when it launched, we actually also launched our partnership with Offline TV um, on Twitch. And so we basically worked with I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm assuming you know what Offline TV is. Yes, yeah. Yes. So we, we work with them um, to sort of push VR content on Twitch. A lot of it was uh, them playing Beat Saber. And so that campaign was very, very successful. So since then and moving forward, we, have, we now do incorporate a lot of influencer-driven campaigns. Um, some of those influencers come through organizations such as FaZe and TSM. Um, sometimes we don't do look outside of that. Um, recently we launched, um, a new, new series called IRL, HTC IRL. Um, and our new interviewer is Alexis Ray, um, which is, you know, an outside influencer who is Mm -hmm. interviewing talent, esports talent or gaming talent, regardless of team we sponsor. So we've done Froggen, we've done Doublelift, we've done, um, we've done Hamlin's. Um, I don't think that video is out, but it will be out soon. So, um, influencers is a big part of our strategy moving forward. Like uh, keeping influencers in mind, you mentioned before about um, you know needing to focus on sales and, and direct sales and a sales funnel. That's you know it's super common question that I get asked, especially from endemic brands. Is you know how do you build um, sales success when working with these influencers? What are some some of your tri- tried and tested methods? Right. So because our product. Uh, HC Vive, you can actually play the, You can actually play it, right? Mm. It's it's nat- It's it's sort of semi endemic to the gaming space. So, the number one thing that we have to have from an influencer campaign is that the influencer has to enjoy playing VR. Has to enjoy it. You can t- clearly tell in any campaign or any content we produce if the influencer is not feeling VR, doesn't like it that much, and that really affects not only uh, just affects numbers just in general in terms of impressions, views, uh, engagement, and also sort of um, click-through rate for 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 sales. So mm. that that's the number one thing. So if if someone wants to approach you as an influencer as an esports team, let's put aside what size they are and how much money they're asking for. What are you what are you looking for? What's the spark that gets HTC interested? Are there quotas that you're looking to fill across different gaming titles to make sure you get a broad spread of the market? Uh, there there are other categories that you know mightn't be initially aware to people. Right, right. So I mean, if we're talking about just any influencer, right now our strategy is basically if we're going to bring an influencer in into our affiliate program or paid sponsorship. It's pretty much for them to play VR and to play using HTC Vive. Um, And so we're just looking for people with interesting fan bases, interesting stories to tell, um, and and something that's really passionate about VR. I mean, if you look at some influencers we have talked to, you know, if you tell them, hey, do you enjoy VR? Are you excited about it? They'll, they'll, They'll tell you, no, they're not. Um, and we, and we don't work with those influencers as much. Mm. Um, and then some influencers, you know, they're all about VR and those are the type of people we love to work with. You know, people are asking us, Hey, look, Hey, what if we do this? What if we set up the vibe like this? What if, um, Hey, can we get, you know, new wireless adapters? Cause we, we have this crazy idea how to shoot this piece of content. Can we get this new game code that's not out yet? Can you ask the developer, um, if we could try a demo out, because I would love to show it to to my audience. Those are the type of influencers we love working with. Ed, can you can you give some examples of ways that influencers have have kind of built a, a meaningful business relationship with you from the cold, from absolutely nothing? Because it's a it's a super common question that I get asked all the time, and I'm sure you get asked too. Is you know how do I start getting contacts in the space? I want to reach out to Razor. How do I do that? How do I start you know getting on their their little black book of someone that they're going to call up to possibly sponsor in the future? Right, right. 
I think it's a combination of a couple of things. Number one, um, we're always on the lookout. So my team um, uh, constantly looks out in the landscape, especially they scour Twitch and say, hey, look, who is who's playing a lot of VR? Who's sort of getting pretty decent retention in their audience? Mm. And, and we'll actually reach out to them. Um, number two is um, people just, there was a lot of inbound into into our you know Twitter DM into our email our general email account esports.htc.com about hey look we're we're an influencer we're looking at VR you know we'd love to learn more about it and we we do read every single message and every single email and we sort of we sort of pick and choose who we want we want to contact mm. um, and that's how that's how we really do it and there's a significant sort of vetting process behind the scenes where we look at every influencer that contacts us and say, hey, look, what are their numbers? Um, what have they done in the past? What kind of content they create on YouTube? Um, well, let's tune into one of their streams um, in the next uh, few days and see, see what they're about. Yeah, and I think that's a, I think it's a great answer and, and one that I get a lot from companies who are extremely invested in esports. But almost, almost playing devil's advocate for the moment, when does the tipping point for that happen? When do the inbounds become so much that you can't do that anymore and the staff are so busy that they can't necessarily go out and secure their own contracts? Or is there a period of time that that might happen? That is a good question. It hasn't happened to us yet, surprisingly enough, um, in the sense that we're, 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 we're faced with an, so much inbound that we're not able to handle it. Mm. But I'm going to try to think of ways where we can in, in the sense that... Um, for example, we could create sort of a an, an application on our website and say, "Hey, look, if you want to be included into the Vive affiliate program, you know, write, you know, answer these questions, write an essay, um, give us a little bit, maybe a, a, a small PowerPoint deck about your um, about your um, about your your metrics mm. on, on on social and things like that." And then it's very easy for for one of our team members to go through each application very quickly and from one glance say, "Hey, look! Did this guy put effort into into this application? Was this perfect? You know, was this was there thought put into this or not?" Yeah, it's a. I, I definitely wanted to see. I guess it was a question that for people listening, you know, it wasn't in our script at all. But yeah, it was something that I wanted to see how you kind of combated that because you know you've identified from the start that you're. I guess what they could say, an, an entrepreneur, like an entrepreneur within an organization, and that's an answer that I would definitely, yeah, I would, I would have definitely expected from you. Looking at you know the critical analysis of how you can get through these problems as they come, and as it happens in esports, right? It's really hard to plan for the future. You kind of have to take, you know, roll with the punches and take things as they come, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, one one way we do organize our influencers now, who are you know who we who do work with us and are interested in and learning more about Vive, getting sneak peeks into new VR content, we do have a dis dedicated Discord server. So, you know, anybody who is sort of an influencer and, and we vet them and we just sort of put them into our Discord server and then we just sort of hand out these codes we get from developers if, 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 and these influencers can, can take them if, if they want to and we can field any support questions in that Discord server. So that that's sort of how we, we, we've sort of managed um our growing influencer roster that we work with and and how do you manage the increasing campaigns you know you've mentioned so many different bits of content that are coming out do you have a special internal tracker and i guess i'm, I'm talking more about you know staff management and, and customer relationship management in this question yeah yeah i mean so a little bit about our our team um we currently have our team is all full house all in-house um three people on the team uh, full time. We have one part time um, who does a lot of our design work, um, and we pretty much have certain people doing account management. So, for example, Jesse, he'll account manage uh, Phase, for example, and any type of content that is going to come out through Phase is going to is going is Jesse's going to know about it, and he's going to add it to our content calendar that we plan out. And if there are any delays, you know, he'll we'll all plan it out. Social, we'll play, he'll plan it out with Laura, who does most of our social on our team. So it's 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 I, I would say it's 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 I wouldn't say it's managed amazingly well, 
but it's it's managed in the sense that we are able to come out with consistent content um, that that has been a struggle for us in the past. Yeah, and what I want to understand as well internally is how how do you justify to HTC management when to scale and how to scale? Like like when do you make that decision internally? You need to hire an extra staff member in account management, and and what is that process of approval like from your bosses? Hmm. That one is a little bit difficult for us in the sense that I. I'm of the firm opinion that our team won't be growing anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, in my opinion, it really depends on how many marketing dollars you're really spending. Um, if our budget is increasing, then at, and, and we have to produce a lot more content, we have to have a lot more volume, then at that point, I will go to sort of management and executives and say, hey, look, we, you've given us a, a bigger job, put a lot more faith in us. We do need the extra help to, 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 to scale. But as of it sits right now, our budget isn't growing at a point where I think we'll be needing to expand um, headcount really anytime soon. Mm. And how, how has it worked for you in the past with hiring your staff in the scaling process? Right, right. In the past, when we first started, actually, the only person handling all of esports was just me. So I literally, I did all the contract negotiations, I did all the social media, I wrote all the scripts for our content, hired the production team, I did everything. It was very, very crazy. So at that point, when I realized, okay, I cannot do this on myself, I'm pretty much living a very unhealthy life mm. by working this way, I need the help. So I, I went to management and said, hey, look, we need extra headcount, you know, we this has expanded to a point where I, I cannot handle this by myself. And it was a very organic conversation. And we hired our, our, our first sort of member of the esports team, James Vo. Um, he works at Nexon now. Um, and then sort of the esports budgets kept growing um, and, and expanding. And we were starting to do a lot more. And so suddenly we're like, okay, now we need someone to sort of do account management and social media as well, and also help with reporting for for our activations. Mm. And so then again, we had this organic. I had, had this organic conversation with management. Hey, look, we need to hire um, additional headcount for the team. Yeah, interesting. So I, I want to um, take a bit of a tangent once again back to the teams aspect because obviously that's a major part of of what we've been talking about today. So you've seen some recent news that that you've um, renewed with TSM and you're working with Phase now and. I really, I really wanted to drill down into the latest piece of content with Phase, uh, which seemed to be in collaboration with their partnership with GameStop and with HTC, releasing kind of a marketing slash ad campaign as the announcement. Is that is that something that you'll see coming more in the future to Tier 1 teams? Because in the past, you know, whether it might be for budgets or some other reasons that you can discuss, usually a sponsorship announcement is a press release or a very short clip of a founder just talking about it on camera. But now we're seeing, you know, a properly produced and, and shot you know, almost a mini feature film, the way that it looked. Right, right. I think this, it's its a testament to how we approach our esports marketing in the sense that we believe video is a lot more engaging and we really believe in creating a lot of engaging content for people to watch. So um, if you take a look at sort of the history of our mark, the marketing we've done in esports is whenever there's a big announcement, we usually produce a video about it. Um, whether that be a tournament, um, I mean, an esports sponsorship announcement like with, with, with FaZe, or let's say uh, a team um, announces a very big new player. Mm. For example, when TSM um, acquired C- uh, Doublelift uh, from CLG, we made a video about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we did an ad around it basically with HTC Phone and Doublelift and Bjergsen. Um, you know, and TSM. So that's sort of the way we approach marketing. And I think a lot of other sponsors will start producing a lot more high quality content as well moving forward because it's just a simply a better way to market. Mm. Yeah, no, that sounds, yeah, that sounds like a very reasonable response for sure. And we, we talked a little bit off air or, or before this podcast about FaZe and, and your new relationship with FaZe. You mentioned um, that you know they're a new sort of marketing trend for you, and they bring in a new sort of audience. Can you expand on that a bit? And, and I want to ask you a few more follow-up questions after you answer this. Right, right. So 
historically we, we went with face because they're first of all they provide a whole different audience on, on youtube i mean they're they're the largest gaming network of influencers on youtube hands down no one can argue with their numbers mm. and that sort of, and their overlap. If you take a look at a lot of the third-party uh, applications, you'll see that the social followings of TSM, Cloud9, and Team Liquid—they're all very similar. But if you add Phase in, their social following doesn't have much overlap with those teams. So we're looking at a very different audience to to market to, to talk to as a brand mm. that we historically haven't been able to before. Um, I think. And also, you know, phase create. I would say, phase. You you could tell from the way they brand themselves, they're very different from an organization such as TSM and Cloud9. And so, it'll be interesting to see how we we as a, a brand adapt to that. And I will say, it was it is a bit of a risk for us as a brand that we took, um, moving away from let's say a Team Liquid or a Cloud9 to go to phase. Mm. Um, because it's something that we just never done before, and it's a completely new audience. Yeah, I just I just find the way that Phase came into esports just so encapsulating to me. That coming from an influencer and YouTube market into the esports space, it's almost in in part about how esports started. You know, games weren't necessarily designed to be an esport; they accidentally fell into that aspect, like StarCraft, Brood War, CS one point six, and and the original Dota. Um, or even you know Warcraft three in a sense, and then it's we've also seen very similar success with Hundred Thieves, you know, with with Nadeshot coming from esports to content creation back to esports, and some very good um, some very good success in that area. What what audience do you think, or does HTC think that Phase is reaching that you haven't talked to before? Is there a typecast of of person or people? Well, I don't want to generalize here, <laughs> but um, I think that number one, we hit the Call of Duty scene that we historically have never hit before. Mm-hmm. Um, none of the teams that we've historically sponsored were very strong in Call of Duty. Uh, phase is. Um, and we're also looking at a very different uh, gaming demographic of casual gamers. You know, we rebranded to HTC Gaming from away from HTC Esports because we want to talk to the greater gaming audience. And we believe that um, Phase has that audience the more general gamer um Mm. that play a lot of different games that some of them might not be competitive some of the influencers that um that some of their biggest influence are not competitive most of their influencers are not competitive and so this was again back to our strategy of shifting a little bit more towards general gaming a little bit more towards the general gaming influencer and targeting the general and, and more of using influencers in the gaming space rather than just professional teams, professional esports players. Yeah, and definitely resonates well with me. You know, I'm not sure if you've seen this at all, but we're going through something similar here in Australia uh, with the with the brand that I'm launching at the moment called Shade, which follows very similar aspects of I I take the opinion that basically everyone's a gamer these days. It's not so much a niche that um you know, you have to be so much secretive like when I was in high school you know, you didn't want to admit that you're a gamer or if you were, that was your one and only identity and the way that you introduced yourself was the fact that you played video games over anything else. But now, you know, while people still choose to identify themselves first and foremost as a gamer, which is fine, it's it's kind of part of what everyone does. Um, you know, if you go to any sports game and, and look at all of the people sitting in the audience, it's very likely that they play some sort of Fortnite, NBA 2K, FIFA, Call of Duty, a bit of Battlefields or Apex Legends, etc., and I think that that's, you know, a lot of where esports is going right now. We're seeing um, the Battle Royale genre is definitely kicking that off quite a lot with a lot of tournaments being pro-am, uh, a lot of tournaments being influencer mixed in with esports first and starting to blur that line a little bit as well with, you know, Apex esports tournaments. Traditionally, you know, playing in a public match and scoring is is not traditional esports whatsoever. And those who are hardcore into Counter-Strike often scoff at that kind of thing, but you know, I believe I'm a believer in also following the market and you know what the consumers want. Because ultimately, if you're trying to sell products to to people, you can't tell them what to think, and you have to follow you know what they enjoy and, and what kind of content they um you know they identify with. I agree. I agree. And um, you know, 
esports is 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 our passion. We love esports, but at one point, at some point, you know, in the past few years, we realized that look, it's not just esports that we love. It's just general gaming. It, it's mm. it's, and we want to talk to that greater gaming audience. I mean, the gaming audience, the the larger scope of gaming is so much bigger than the pie of esports, right? Esports are the most hardcore fans usually. Um, Mm-hmm. But we really want to talk to the greater audience. Yeah, no, that's very true. Yeah, that's very true. So you've you've also um, mentioned a, a few times off off uh, air as well that you're looking to do some new engagements on Twitch and such as well. Um, I just wanted to kind of wrap up chatting a little bit about your content plan coming into the near future before some follow up questions. Right, right. I think um, what's really exciting is you know as I mentioned throughout this podcast was we're we're really doing a lot more influencer driven campaigns. And so actually this Wednesday, we'll be um, hosting a Vive Summit uh, broadcast on Twitch where we're bringing sort of influencers from all sort of walks of life in the, in the gaming space and having them sort of compete and play a lot of the newest VR content um, on stream uh, this Wednesday. And it'll be interesting because we're showcasing talent from our newly announced uh, sponsorships of tsm and phase mm. but we're also bringing people you know such as alexis ray in. we're bringing people in such as box box um so we're really bringing in a lot more um of you know the twitch community into into our fold and um it should be pretty exciting i mean looking looking just at the numbers alone it, it seems that htc's had you know, some quite fantastic success in the content market. And you said that, you know, coming as a non-endemic company who's never been involved in the space before, that's been your MO from the day dot. Is is this something that you'd suggest for other companies who know nothing about the esports scene to come into the space in regards to content? Or is it specific to the products and the current marketing message that they carry? I would absolutely say that if there are companies that are first stepping into esports, that they should be very wary of creating content. Um, simply because it is very hard to get the messaging right and to mm. get the ideation down. Um, I have seen a lot of sponsors and brands come into the space and create some pieces of content, and they sort of fall flat on their face. I won't, you know, name names, but I've seen them fall. You know, they, they don't have very good numbers. They completely did the engagement wrong. Yeah. Creating content is very difficult because you have to speak the language. You have to know what's in. Um, a lot of the videos that we've created in the past are incredible inside jokes, memes about certain players, trash talking certain players. Um, and if you don't understand the space, it's going to be very hard for you to create that kind of content. Mm. And how, like, how does a brand then get get enough knowledge, get enough confidence and information to be able to go through that? Is there, is there a pathway that you can suggest? Right, right. So that, that, that's a harder question to answer. Um, I think number one is you have to get a proper education in the esports space. And um, yeah, you have to work with people that really know the space. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, I, I listened to sort of your podcast with Ben the other time, and there's so many esports consultants out there, right? Mm. And a lot of them don't really know what they're talking about. And so you really have to be very careful as a brand when you enter this space and say, hey, I need to get a proper education, really work with the best people that really know the space um, and, and, and listen to them and do it and, and do it right. And one one tip I will say is that going this is one reason why we went with the teams is because they guided us a lot when you, we went to you know, TSM or Cloud9 or Team Liquid, they could tell us, hey, look, this is what our fans like. This is the type of content that they like. So let us guide you on how to create that content because we really know our fans. I mean, they built the brand in the first place. Hmm. And so that's that. That's a big tip I would say is if you're going, to, don't know anything about esports, really lean on the teams because they know what they're talking about. At least, the, the you know, the teams like TSM, Cloud9, Team Liquid, 100 Thieves, phase yeah i think that's some yeah i think that's some great answers and it's a lot of you know it's a lot of what i am trying to do here and, and what people like yourself and ben are trying to do in the esports market which is bring in more money and bring in new money and as we often say non-endemic money into the space and, and brand interest because even if you look at the fact of if you can get one company in 
even if you take the non-biased approach of a team and you're educating a brand that maybe it's their best intention to sponsor a tournament, as we've seen, when one automotive manufacturer comes in, they've all come piling in. And you know we've seen that with, with um, healthcare brands, we've seen that with fast-moving consumer good brands and fast food brands and such as well. So you know, if someone can put in the hard yards, in the end, you know, everybody seems to win. Exactly, and exactly. And I think it is up to sort of the esports industry as a whole to do this education and make sure that these bigger brands, they, when they come in, they do it right the first time. Because for a lot of these uh, marketing directors who are taking a chance on esports, it's very risky to say, hey, look, let's go into esports. Mm. Um, and when they, when they get burned by it, when they don't do it right, then the company is like, okay, let's, let's pull out and reevaluate. And they, it might take them a, a while to warm up to the idea of coming back into esports. Mm. So it's really important for the esports industry as a whole to lead these big brands on the right path when they first enter the market. Yeah, and that being said, is, is there any specific campaigns or things that you've done or examples of, of HTC directly where you've tried and failed and you've thought that you're just not going to simply do that thing again? There are a couple. There are a couple. I'm trying to think of a good example. One thing that did not work was things are just sort of out of touch. Mm-hmm. Our content pieces around, we did this sort of, when we first went to esports, we sort of did this production pieces around what if you could game in real life? And so we had like people play like Street Fighter and have this guy dress up Sagat and try to go fight people in, in public. And then we brought in like Xpeke and Cyanide in London to go uh, fight this, like a big production commercial shoot to fight this sort of uh, mob that was sort of like uh, Warcraft. That did not work very well. Mm. Um, you can find that still on our YouTube channel. It has a lot of views. It did not work very well. Um, another one that did not work out very well was sort of our forays into Dota. Mm-hmm. I, I personally have found it very hard as a sponsor to create engaging content in Dota and the Dota community and Dota scene. Nothing against people who play Dota. It's just something that we haven't figured out. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I think it was TI4, we created some content around Cloud9's Dota 2 team, and we did their boot camp for them in Seattle. Um, and we brought in Hotbid to interview the teams. Um, I wouldn't say that content was of the same quality as we have produced um, elsewhere. Yeah, and I think it's important to, you know, help help people understand and um, and take a look at, you know, campaigns that haven't worked in the past. And I, and I find it interesting about specific brands working with certain games. Do you think that maybe it's it's HTC as a brand isn't a fit for Dota or do you think that there's just um, just some issues that need to be figured out or some different pathways of entry that all brands need to look at with a game like that? There are a couple of reasons why I think that we haven't been very successful in Dota and it's that it's hard to get, well at least historically, we haven't tried to do something in Dota recently, but it's just been very hard to get the player's time to, cre- to film a lot of engaging content because mm. you know they're traveling a lot. The same thing with CSGO, right? They're traveling a lot. They have all these tournaments. And Dota especially, um, they make so much money off winning these tournaments that they don't need to really focus as much on the sponsor side mm-hmm. as, as some of the other games. Um, and so it's just been very hard for us historically to, to get the time needed um to, to to do things around dota players yeah and i want to follow that exact same narrative there's been some some news talking about fortnite players for example you know they're earning um very very good salaries themselves through streaming on twitch through donations and subscriptions and and sponsorship and such else that so much so that they're losing money by traveling to play in tournaments and to win you know even part of five hundred thousand dollar prize pools so are you finding that same issue as htc with your content creators or have you you know not gone with those and, and tried to circumnavigate that issue absolutely absolutely i mean every, every it's basically a lot of the pricing for a lot of these influencers especially the big ones like fortnite in Fortnite is you basically pay them or how much they would make in an hour streaming mm. for their time in a commercial shoot. And that is a lot of money for some of the big influencers. Mm. Um, and so, and, and honestly, a lot of the streamers um, much prefer to just stream 
and do activations on stream than anything else. Because when they when, when they're not streaming, you know, they're not building their fan base, they're not growing their channel. So so they much rather prefer doing things on stream. And so it's a, it's much harder to pull, you know, the bigger streamer these days these pull these streamers away from their stream to do content now. Um, it really pretty much has to be on stream. If you want a good price, you want to be, you know, a good price and, 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 and keep the influencer happy. Yeah, I agree 100%. And that's an educational process that I've even found difficult myself with the endemic brands is explaining to them that, you know, yes, it might be good for them to, to attend a PAX or a Gamescom or something like that. But while they're traveling, they're on the plane for 12, 16 hours. They're literally losing money over that time. And not only are they losing ad revenue, they're losing subscribers at, at sometimes a quite alarming rate. You know, the, the subscriber drop-off when people aren't streaming can be extremely severe. Uh, so, you know, it, it's up to the brand to help make that up. And a lot of the time it's not realistic with an endemic brand's budget uh, because it's just not the same as, as a Toyota or, or another blue chip company. Exactly, exactly. I mean, these guys are making a lot of money streaming now. It's, um, you got, you got, you have to... You have to pay them. I get. I would say it's a fair rate, you know, mm. to, to make them to get them away from the stream, um, and 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 I think I think it's fair. I mean, these guys are becoming big. If you want to pull them away from the stream, you have to compensate them accordingly. Um, obviously, that's why a lot of brands like us we prefer long-term partnerships um so that we can you know play around their schedule they know that the commitment's heading into a partnership um so it's not one-off you know they know that they're streaming but they have these commitments because they sign up for it and it's a long-term partnership yeah exactly and um you know that it's another analogy i use the same to these kind of brands is if you had a salesperson and they were asking to fly interstate but they only had one meeting that would likely generate your company no revenue and no meaningful business contact, would you send them? And the answer is likely not. And it's exactly the same, I think, for these content creators. You know, if they're not, if, if they're a Minecraft content creator that creates Let's Plays on YouTube, they're not really getting anything out of going to CES in Las Vegas and seeing the latest technology because their audience doesn't care about that and they're literally losing money while they're over that time. And it's a yeah, it's a reality that I'm finding interesting to explain to people and, and it's taking a while for them to understand. But I think that's just all part of this new market, right? We've, we've not had um, a household name like Ninja for very long. You know, he's, the, the rise of him has been extremely fast and it's been extremely recent. So sometimes it's hard for people who aren't embedded in the space like us to keep up and understand these things. Exactly, exactly. It, it's, it's, I mean, this is a very new industry, right? And it, it's influencer the influencer space is is relatively new as well and so um brands will need to learn how to adapt and influencers will also need to learn how to adapt on what's what's the right business model uh what 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 is going to give and what's going to what what are we going to get right and so mm. i think I think, you know, influencers need to figure it out, the agents need to figure it out, the agencies, the brands. Um, it's just going to be this organic conversation of what's going to sort of evolve into what's the right business model, what is the right price to pay them for an offline activation. Uh, that hasn't been figured out yet, and I don't foresee it to be figured out anytime soon, but mm. it should get better over time. And I think there's a lot more leeway with an influencer to figure out their business model, right? There's not... A lot of the time, there's not the pressure of investors, stockholders, shareholders. There's not the pressure of multiple staff salaries to pay because the the beauty of it is a lot of the time they're starting off with a two thousand dollar computer and a basic internet connection in their bedroom that you know in a house that they may rent, own, or or live with other people or their family at the same time. Compared to you know a, a traditional business or esports team, where not only have you got five contracted and salaried players plus a coach, you've also got and infrastructure of marketing and staff and management that sits above them too. Yes, that is true. That is true. Uh, an influencer's business model is, is is a lot much more simpler than any of these organizations. A lot of these organizations, I will say, are 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 also are, have, have a lot of difficulties ahead um, on on figuring on figuring out their business models, especially with franchise leagues. Some are not franchise leagues. Mm. Um, they have they now they have a talent division. Um, 
it'll be interesting. Yeah, and, and what's your view on um, esports teams and their business models and, and advancement over this time? You know, being someone who's been extremely hands-on with them, is are there any major gaps that you find in some of these tier one teams that you that you just wish they'd fill? Well, I think number one is that they're not like an organization that's very established, like the Lakers or the Yankees, where they have very set processes um, and they're, they're established companies. These esports organizations, they're startups. Mm. I mean, back in the day, you know, when we were doing, you know, a lot of our arrangements, we, we, it was very, very unorganized. It's getting better now. It's, it's much more organized now. But there are, these companies are, grow, you know, are experiencing growing pains. And as a brand that's sort of seen them grow, it, it's been interesting to see them how they've sort of, uh, change over the past few years on how they organize themselves, how do they create, you know, more structured process around sales, around content, around uh, marketing, things like that. Um, any gaps that I think are missing, though? I mean, I would say, I mean, you'll find this in pretty much any influencer sort of run business is that it's just really hard to nail down schedules. Mm. It's incredibly hard. It's it's cuz like it's really difficult especially when when publishers announce tournaments that on dates that no one was expecting, right? Mm-hmm. For example, in the NBA, you know when the season starts, you know every game when when the games are going to be played, you know when the finals are, you know when playoffs starts, right? But for esports, it's like, oh, there's a new turn- CS:GO tournament in uh in London you know, in two months that our CSGO is attending now. Fortnite World Cup was just announced, mm. right? It's really hard to plan around all these announcements when they just pop up out of nowhere. Um, and, and the teams really don't have any control over it because, you know, the publishers are still figuring out. They can't, you know, get ahead of announcing those dates and, and things get a little messy. Yeah, it was definitely refreshing talking to a brand like Red Bull about their existing athlete program and and people that they work with that, you know, these, these athletes, they know their schedule 18 to 24 months in advance. And that isn't even the arguably, you know, tier one or biggest sports in the world, like formula one who do it's even the triathletes and the, and the smaller sports, you know, they've got these things planned out to a T and you're right. That definitely doesn't happen at the moment. And it's part of, you know, just part of what makes esports fun when apex legends can come out of nowhere and, you know, get 50 million downloads and, and smash the competition and really take a chunk out of Fortnite for a while. But yeah, it does become hard when you're a brand, when you can't plan for these things over this time. And like you said, you've got influencers that are earning a lot of money and need to attend these kind of events to maintain relevancy um, with their audience. And also you've got Dota 2 players who are focused on, you know, why would they make some content with HTC when it could be taking away from them winning a share in 27 million USD? worth of prize pool, you know, and getting a million dollars or thereabouts in their pocket if they take that trophy home. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I've had instances where we have, you know, video shoots where we coordinate influencers from a lot of different places, a lot of different organizations, and then suddenly, you know, half of them, a lot of them can't show up because, you know, some tournament happens, and then now you're stuck with a production team that's have everything planned, we have things rented out, what happens then when half of them can't show up anymore? Mm. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. And um, it's, it's some of those problems that we have to deal with as a team. I don't, I don't envy that at all. <laughs> I, do not, I do not envy that. <laughs> yes. No, fantastic. And uh, I guess what, so following up um, some of what we've been talking about and, and wrapping up our conversation a bit, because we've been going for uh, just about an hour now. Are you working with influencers directly, primarily? Are you working through agencies or the same with, with, it, with the players? Like, what kind of relationship do you prefer or do you prefer either way? Well, back in the day, obviously, you will want to work with the players directly. Mm. Um, back in the day, when it was, wasn't as organized, when you, could throw, when you could throw your own tournament for, you know, $20,000, $30,000. But these days, I mean, most of the time we work through agents, agents and through organizations uh to working with influencers um obviously you know i i've been in the space for 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 a decent amount of time so i know certain people uh, on a personal level and so sometimes you know it's just a simple text and say hey look um you want to come to this shoot um we can talk to your agent or you know whatever you however you want to handle and you know that's how the deal gets done 
one of our shoots, um, you know, you know, some of the talent we got, the League of Legends talent we got was, you know, one guy just got sick and just couldn't make it. And we were like looking for a replacement, you know, was sort of texting sort of the people I knew and we made it happen. So mm. it's mostly, though, through agents and, and organizations these days. Yeah. So if, if uh, someone wants to follow yourself or your company and what you guys are doing up until, you know, now and into the future, where can they do so online? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're looking in what keep up to date with what we're doing at HTC and VR. Uh, you can follow us at HTC Gaming across all the social channels, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Um, myself, my tag is HTC Junior. I will say I'm not very active, but I post occasionally. But uh, yeah, that's where you can follow us. And a, a parting piece of advice from you for someone, let's say that there's a, a tier two or tier three team that's going through some capital raises right now and they're in the twilight zone where they've just locked in the capital, they've got the money and they've got a brand to build. What are some of the first things that they should take into account when looking at building their brand identity and who they are? I think that they really need to set expectations with the brands that they reach out to. I think that it's always better. I mean, as as how we got in the door with TSM, Cloud9 and, and, and Team Liquid in the, originally was they gave us a really good deal a lot of content pieces and we grew with them and that's i think that's the mindset that some of these up-and-coming organizations need to come from is that they need to get sponsors and brands in the door and grow with them and prove their worth prove their value and and that that's how you'll be successful fantastic well walter mate this has been a, a really good conversation with you you've, you've had a lot of hands-on experience more so than many others you know sitting on that brand side and you've managed to bring a new brand into this space and I think also, you know, we've had some great discussion about really pushing yourself into a job, you know, taking opportunities as they're presented to you and creating as much as you can out of a position you're currently in. So thanks so much for joining us today, mate. And I think the listeners will definitely have gotten a lot out of this conversation. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. And also thank you to the listeners for tuning into the Big Esports Podcast. This has been episode number 30. For any of the show notes or any links to what we've talked about today or for further discussion, you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash 30, which is 3-0. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. Today's podcast and all of season one and season two has been brought to you by our sponsor, PLE Computers.